Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today's guest, I'm really pleased to introduce Neil McKenzie. Pleasure. Not as many as Shane Byrne as he likes to remind yeah. me. In the bar, like, yeah, I race motorbikes. And she's like, oh, is that your hobby then? What's your job? And I was like, I hate that. Kids are a different thing when they're racing. She says, the thing is, you can always replace your husband, but you never replace your kids. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, cheers. Right, we're going to get them. <laughs> oh, Jim, no, I'll gather the troops. We're going to get them. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you come from nothing and you make it happen yourself or your parents have got money or you're, you're giving money. The fact is, when you start racing, you're going to crash, you're going to get hurt, and you have to have something inside you that makes you just want to bounce back. In the 96, won the championship. I got I got pummeled by security guards. My last season racing was 2000. I was Neil Hodgson's teammate with the GSE Ducati team. And I was kind of little kids on bikes scared me. He's done no it. Way. He did. No. 54. Oh. You've seen my phone, haven't you? Oh. You've oh. seen it. Hi guys, welcome to season one, episode five of Pushing the Limit podcast with me, Danny Bucken. Today's guest, I'm really pleased to introduce, Neil McKenzie. Neil, thanks for coming. Pleasure. Ne uh, always a pleasure, never a chore, Danny. Neil or Mad Mark? I just wanted to... Uh, I left Mad Mark at home oh, today. He's not a nice guy. I think no. we're going to have to bring him on separately. We'll have to speak with his manager. And Speak yeah. to his manager. Um, I'm sure he'd be keen. I'm sure yeah. he'd be keen, yeah. You need, yeah. I've got first question before we start the podcast. I have to ask you, because this is one of the vivid memories I have of you. How angry was you when McDonald's changed to digital with the coffee stamps? <laughs> how, what, how, how did you feel? I need to just understand that. <laughs> right, well, I, I hope I don't go to jail for this, but, um, and, and you were involved in this. And, and uh, I wondered where you were going with that one. So, uh, yeah, I was a keen collector of the coffee beans, because if you think if you got six, you get a free coffee. Yeah. And I've actually been spotted, because I still run a bit, I've, I've actually been caught out a couple of times picking up dodgy coffee cartons just to see if there are beans on. And my success rate has been quite high, and I used to collect yeah. these beans. But then you got me to take it to a new level. because my about this. My, well, <laughs> if I'm implicated, then so are you. Because my boys were speaking to you, and they told, they told you about my bean picking up dirty coffee cup habits to get free coffees. And said, you said, mate, you can get on the internet and buy sheets of coffee beans and uh, for pennies, and then you've got free coffee the rest of your life. I'm a great believer in karma, so I actually avoided it because I didn't want to get bad karma, especially with all the racing stuff were involved with. So I did avoid it for a while, but then I just had to do it. And I, so I bought a sheet of these coffee beans. Cheap, weren't they? So like, they Cheap. were like 99p for like five sheets. Right? We, can't, we can't tell you exactly where we got them from, but no. it's a bit of a secret. So, <laughs> so I had all these, I had basically a year's supply of coffee, and that's if I'm having two cappuccinos a day. And I bought these in uh, May. McDonald's stopped the bean promotion in July. So I basically had about three cups of yeah. coffee for the price I paid for all these beans, and then they're worthless because it all went digital. So... Danny Buckin, you owe me some. Oh, a few, you owe me. few pennies. I was really nervous when I used to do that as well. You know, like I used to pull up at the McDonald's window and they'd be like, 
yeah, uh, I said, oh yeah, I've got a voucher or like the the the, pe the piece of paper or a card, and I'd give it to him, and I'd be like really nervous. Even though it's a free like ninety nine p coffee, I used to just still be very nervous giving it because, like you say, karma in our game. I had a bad season that season, so I might put it down to that. Yeah, just well, fortunately, I didn't get too much karma from that, but. Um... Yeah, so you've got Scottish blood in you as well. So I, I get I get where you were coming from and you get where I was coming from. But um yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah, but then um so let's yeah, let's get into it. Obviously, like you won how many championships in total? Your... Not as many as Shane Byrne as he no. likes to remind yeah. me. Yeah, won three <laughs> British Superbike titles and yeah. uh, if I'm ever in Shane Byrne's company and that subject comes up, he'll say, Yeah, but I won six and then I'll say, Yeah, but you never won three back to back. Yeah, yeah but I yeah, would have yeah. done. I yeah, would have yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh all friendly banter, yeah. but uh Where did it start? Like where did the motorbike racing start? Like obviously Yeah, yeah. Like, how did you ever get into it? Weird the chances of me becoming a successful, well, successful at anything were, were pretty slim. Grew up in a, a a little village in central Scotland, very working class village. And where it all started was I had three mates who were a little bit more wealthy than I was that I went to school with that um, had a, a bit of a, a country home and they had a little bike, the TS125 Suzuki. And I was always interested in cars and not so much bikes, but I ended up at their house one day and uh, and I was just blown away with this this bike and the fun they were having on it. And I was lucky enough for them to offer me uh, a ride on it. And I, I basically went down the drive and back. And I didn't know at the time, but that just got me hooked yeah. into bikes. So the fact that I didn't have to pedal it was amazing. And and this thing made an amazing noise. It smelt brilliant because it was a two-stroke. And... Following on from that, these these two brothers, um, Alison and Stuart Ray, their dad raced, they started to race, and I started to go along just helping them push the bikes at uh, club meetings and then got involved uh, that way. Bought a road bike to go to work on, started production racing on my 350LC at Knockhill, my local race track. How much would that bike have been then? That bike was a, just over £1,000 at the time, but um, Yamaha 350LC... Long before your time, but really iconic bike. Arguably one of the best bikes Yamaha have ever built. One of the most successful bikes. It appeared in Motorcycle News one week. Uh, double page spread. I saw this bike and I knew I had to beg, borrow and steal to own one. And I had no idea what lay ahead in the future, but um, managed to get one. And at the same time, the a class started in, in Scotland for racing for these bikes. My two mates, the brothers that were racing, encouraged me to have a go. I think more for a laugh than anything else because I thought it'd be useless, <laughs> but I thought, why not? So got myself a little club license, rode the bike to Knock Hill, started racing. And uh, again, uh, I was addicted to bikes by that point. Then I got addicted to racing and then just wanted to do it and just found a way to make things happen after that. But that's where, yeah. the, that's where it all started. That's fantastic though, isn't it? Like you could literally ride a bike you could just ride a bike and go and race it. Like I couldn't imagine, I know there's like sort of street classes now, but I couldn't imagine going and getting, like if you got a stock, let's say you got a stock BMW yeah. and road bike and went to even like a, a club meeting, you it'd be hard to be difficult. Probably somebody of like who professional would do yeah. well on it, but for like the average Joe who's just starting racing, it'd be very difficult. But you would you've been competitive then when you could like could you rock up and you just yeah I was. I mean it, yeah you couldn't know because yeah. you, you need tires, you need to prep the bike. There's so much suspension. Everyone buys yeah, straight away just, just to make it race ready. And at that point, it was basically tape the lights up, um, wire the sump plug, and put some blue plates on it front and a couple on the side panels and away you go and you race on road tires yeah. and because everyone else is on the same if everyone could rock up on on road bikes and race then it would be fine but you can't do that it's just not possible and the cost was minimal it was like 10 quid for a race entry and what five. if you smashed it up well this crashed really well and believe me i smashed my bike up but it skidded down the road and you just bash things yeah. back into place but a rattle can on the tank and the exhaust and straighten the handlebars and away, away you go again. And it, it really was that cheap. And incredibly, at Knock Hill at the time, you was there was 50 quid to, to win a race. And then there was what's called an invitation race at the end of the day, which you raced all the big proddy bikes as well. Yeah. And you'd get 70 quid to win that. So I could take home more than I was earning at work. It, it was ridiculous. So 
I was just about in profit racing yeah. and having the best time. I know you unfortunately lost your dad when you was quite young, but when you started the racing side of things, what did your mum think of that? Like when you said to your mum, I'm going racing, how yeah. did that go down? <laughs> my mum was so good, yeah. My dad died when I, I was 13. And while he had an interest in all things with engines, uh, yeah, there's no way I would have been going racing. Um, my mum was friends with a family that, that race so I kind of had that as a bit of a, a bit of a lever but she's just such a good mum she gave me a free hand to go and do what I, I wanted to do and she just her best advice was don't go too fast <laughs> alright that's not really the point mum but and then funnily even when, when my career took off and, and and I started doing it for a living she said well when do you think you'll, you you always go back to your proper job don't, <laughs> don't worry I thought well there's no way I'm going back to a proper job at this point you was earning a living from racing yeah, yeah she that's said, well, so funny just, yeah. Yes, so yeah so yeah it was basically being my mum in a council semi and, and off I went racing and yeah I had lots of luck and good people helping me yeah. along the way but you know yourself unless you've got that massive drive from within to make things happen then then it won't happen and, and we'll do it a, a different way but yeah well that's something that's like such a like having the opportunity to sit down with riders who have been successful like yourself and and shaky and carl and the one thing that everyone seems to have is that just that inner drive and like some the people in the outside world might call it that arrogance part but it's yeah. not it's that inner you, you you believe yourself so much i guess if you went up and down the grid now and spoke to people about like like if you like like I'm doing, I guess that is such a, a common thing in, in what we do. And I guess because of the dangers involved and because of what we kind of risk and how we do it, we have to have that kind of yeah. almost inner ego, don't we, to, to be successful and, and that drive that you say where people say, You can't do that, you won't do that, you can't but you just you have to it, kind of it's so true. And it doesn't matter if you come from nothing and you make it happen yourself or your parents have got money or you're you're giving money. The, the fact is, when you start racing, you're going to crash, you're going to get hurt, you could get seriously hurt. So it's painful, but psychologically, that, that's not good either. And, and you have to have something inside you that makes you just want to bounce back. You've had some horrendous mm. crashes, we, we all have, but you dust yourself down and you rock up next weekend and you go again. And you meet a regular guy, uh, I meet a lot of guys, bike shows chat shows, stuff like that, and you're talking to them and, and they'll tell you about one injury they've had in their whole biking career. They might be 40 or 50 years old and and that will have traumatised their whole yeah. biking career. And, and they say, how do you get up and go again? Well, you can't really explain. You just you just do it. So that you normally understand why you crashed. It was either your yeah. fault or someone else's fault. Can we see the data? Show me the data. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you always justify it. You, you don't think, yeah, oh, I'm probably going to get hurt again and it's be painful the next time. You wipe it. I guess it's like, girls giving birth they just wipe out and have more I was literally because about to say it. that yeah. like my wife she gave birth to the second child like to Brody, and, and I was like right and she's on the bed holding him she's like right never again never again and then like a week later you'd be like oh yeah oh, you know I'd love a third and you're like you are you're nuts but it's mm. like that with racing like I remember the amount of times I've sat in hospital watching live timing going, I'm so done with racing. I hate this sport. I'm never doing it again. And then Steph's like, why are you watching live timing? Well, I want to see who wins. Yeah. Well, wh why? You said you're done. No, I'm not done. But you're not over it. When I first met Steph, that's what she said to me. Yeah. She had a couple of big crashes in 2015. And she was like, um, people would say, you all right? And I was literally like bruised. My whole sight, left side of my body was, was just black and blue. And uh, she goes, uh, why are you telling everyone you're all right? You're not all right. And I was like, no, I'm fine. And I, the next day, I was in, she couldn't touch me. I was in a pickle. But you just have that, you just, it doesn't, I don't know what it is, whether it's the arrogance or just the, the need to get back on because seeming well, you, tough is not. You've had the taste of winning and the love yeah. of winning. And it's the same for for girls giving birth. They've had that love of that, that child yeah. and that kind of overrides all the pain and all, all the mess and everything they've had to go through. And then. So you eliminate the bad stuff, remember the good stuff, and, that's and, you, it. and you, want, yeah. <laughs> you want to go again. And then let's touch back on, obviously, the, your racing career. So when do you remember getting your first like MotoGP contract offer? Because I actually went on, obviously, on your Twitter the other day. Yeah. The um, It was really funny, the offer that you got sent through the, not the Telefax. Ah, uh, the world's, yeah, Telefax. That, what is it, Telefax? Is it Telefax? Fax, Telefax, I don't know. I am sure my age. just shows you how, yeah, shows your age, how young you are. But yeah. did, would that, so 
Because I could imagine, like now, if I was waiting at the like, if it was like, let's say September, October, and I'm waiting for a contract, I wouldn't leave the damn machine. I'd be sat in front of it all day yeah, and all night. I think, yeah. like, how do you remember like receiving your first MotoGP offer and being like, wow? Yeah, like, that was what all the a, hell. Yeah, yeah, it was all a bit a bit mad as well. Um, I started racing in 1981. 1986, I was given an opportunity by Suzuki to race at the British Grand Prix on a 500 Skull Band at Suzuki. So. Uh, Backstory behind that, but I was given the opportunity and it, it went quite well. I was given another opportunity to race in Misano in Italy and uh, I qualified third on what everyone thought was a, an uncompetitive bike. So there was like Eddie Lawson, Wayne Gardner and me. And it was just ridiculous <laughs> sitting on the front row. And then everything went out of control after that because uh, I came from nowhere and appeared there. Everyone thought I was some sort of wonder kid. I, I wasn't knocking it, but... Uh, a couple of weeks after that, HRC asked me to go to Japan <laughs> via fax. Uh, yeah, Would yeah. you come? And it's just like a dream. So, uh, yeah, I, it, like something that wasn't happening. So, yeah, got on a flight to Japan. They took me to Suzuka. I tested Freddie Spencer's bike from 1986. Cr nearly crashed so many times, but didn't. But I went fast in between. Yeah. Uh, went to HRC HQ the next day, and they, they put up contract in front of me for uh, full season the GPs the following year on a factory bike I don't really know how it happened <laughs> yeah, but it's it did. Mad. so and and yeah and I walked out of there still in a bit of a dream got to the airport um didn't fax anyone no rang up rang Telefax. up, rang yeah. up yeah. Uh, couldn't show anyone pictures <laughs> no, of anything no. but rang up my girlfriend Jan wife now and said I got this HR I've still got it it's HRC yeah. contract HRC headed paper <laughs> how much what I'm doing for a whole season with an option for the following year. It was just ridiculous. I, I, I don't know. They must have been shorter riders or got me mixed up it, with Whatever someone, happens, happens. Even happened. if they got the name wrong, they still, you still rode the bike. It happened, yeah. It, I, it was just opportunities, made the most of them, and, 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 that, and it, it literally happened in a whirlwind. Yes. And then bikes, obviously, like you said about nearly crashing the bike so many times. They were they were crazy, weren't they? Because how much did they weigh? And then the, you got, obviously, the weight, the power... The way it delivers the power, no technology apart from your right hand. Yeah. The brakes weren't wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been mega brakes, would they? Would they have been it, good it brakes? It was all relative. Brake, brakes, all the brake suspension, all of that stuff was good. The yeah. the weight, the bikes weighed around 125, 130 kilos, had about 160 brake horsepower. The limiting factor was the tires and tire technology. Yeah. And obviously, two stroke, you've ridden two strokes. It's not smooth linear power. You get you get lots of power, but you get it in a space of 2,000 RPM. So it's all about kind of timing when to use that power, what lean angle you've got, and just opening the throttle. So I, I grew up on 252 strokes. So I understand the, the concept, but I've never really ridden 500s much. So um, I kind of knew what was going on. I had a bit of feel, but the but as I found out later on, it, it's so easy to be upside down. But I got away with it that day. and. Yeah got my contract there's so much in that because like obviously you're saying about the bikes and the way they deliver power being being yeah. on your head the the safety then as well obviously again it's relative but you guys literally like had hay bales in, in dangerous places yeah. um like Alton park for instance that track was just obviously you went you used to go through shell didn't you and then it yeah. just straight on over the hill yeah and then you'd just go straight and then it'd be like right, down a gear, wouldn't it? Back yeah. full gas through there and then up the hill. Yeah. Like the safety then as well. Like it was Yeah, just what it is what it is. And and when you're young you just you just wanna race and you don't really look at You just racing. Yeah. yeah. As in that's what we got type thing and this is it. That's strawbills, I tell you at the time strawbills were all right. They were you get quite a soft landing as long as you the but some racetracks you went to and, and GPs were the worst at that time. You got to racetracks like in Yugoslavia the bales that were there there was a little bit more runoff in some of the British tracks but the bales that were there were the same bales from the year before so they're basically solid oh, brown yeah. lumps better hitting a wall if wet, you're a nice dry, soft straw wet, bale yeah. yeah wet been there for yeah. a year and I, I I broke my ankle on more than one occasion hitting bales like that but if it was a nice soft straw freshly mown Bill probably wouldn't be all right. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. I, I would have that given was a anything. lovely crash. Yeah. And I, I know a couple of times sliding towards these black bales, and I'm thinking, here we go again. Yeah. Ankle's gone. And 
sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But yeah, things have moved on, thankfully, a lot since then. Yeah, and then obviously when you met Jan, did you, did Jan know you raced bikes or was that like a, did you, was she from the racing era? Jan, Jan, yeah, Jan was a PA at Donington Park, so I, uh, mid-80s. Smooth and, talker was you as well? Uh, she had a good telephone voice, but <laughs> I don't know. I've had experiences with telephone voices don't always turn out to be exactly what they <laughs> should be in the flesh. Luckily, we've got um, the internet now. But uh, So I used to speak, uh, the MD at John uh, Donington Park at that time, Robert Fernall, Jan was his PA, and I had to call Robert on a, who helped me a little bit with my racing, call him on a Monday morning. Um, and then I started getting this female voice that was working for Robert, so I got to know her. So I'd put on my best telephone voice and... Uh, and I said, so I just tell Robert my results from the weekend. So whether I won or not, I yeah. would say I won another couple of <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if that impressed her or yeah. not. But um, We'll have to find out. <laughs> anyway, the I sort of sneakily rocked up at a race meeting. I knew she was at once. I wasn't racing, but I knew she So I had a bit of a look, try before you buy look. Um, yeah, yeah. See, and she was very agreeable on the ice. So after that, I kind of... She was like, I need, to, I need to get there. I need to marry her quick because... <laughs> so she, yeah, so answer your question. She, she's going to find out I'm a fraud. Yeah. I don't race. <laughs> yeah. Don't win. Yeah, I had to do a little bit of backpedaling. Actually, the <laughs> yeah. results were not quite where it seems. But, so, yeah, so that's where it all started. So she kind of didn't know her race, but I lied about my results. It's funny because I can relate to that with Steph. When I met Steph, I was like, in the bar, I was like, yeah, I race motorbikes. And she's like, oh, is that your hobby then? What's your job? And I was like, I hate no. It's actually, no, I'm a paid professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd been paid about one month's wage yeah, at that point. Yeah. I was a paid professional. Yeah. She's like, yeah, it doesn't sound that interesting mm. really. And it obviously is such a different life. Like yeah. when you grow up in that life, it's such mm. a different environment, yeah. isn't it? Like this, like we were saying, like the injury side of things. And, and I remember, it's funny you mentioned that. I remember long time before Jan, I uh, went on a date once and I had a picture of me in my escort van. <laughs> if you're old enough, you know what an escort van is. A picture of me racing just happened to be in the centre console and uh, quite liked us because she picked it up and she went, who's that? I said, it's me. She says, yeah. She says, I can't, I can't be arsed with any of that stuff. And she chucked a picture and I just thought, I was driving along, thought, you're dumped. Yeah, that's hurt it, yeah. my feelings, yeah, destroyed yeah. me yeah, because yeah. It, obviously I loved racing a lot more than I liked her, and I was yeah. like, oh my god, she don't like motorbikes, yeah. she don't like me racing. Then I can't and be with I'm you. Terminated. Yeah, being yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dumped by. Yeah. yeah, but you probably had to do it face to face then, didn't you? Which is that's because now, like, I mean, if you wanted to just like dump your missus, I mean, it'd be a bit different for me because I'm married, but I can imagine like <laughs> the amount of girls I dumped in my like early teens just via text messaging it was brilliant never had to see him ever again it yeah, was so easy couldn't dream. imagine actually dumping somebody face to face and taking that upon myself yeah well, it would be yeah if I'm yeah. man enough for that yeah well I wasn't I was just a bit spineless so <laughs> Wait, I probably, you, I would, you dumped <laughs> no, no I didn't say that yeah. I just didn't make any contact yeah I didn't answer any phone calls well, I'd be living with mum at the time yeah. so I'd say if, yeah just let mum deal with if it if Colette rings up I've left. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. And um, was there any moments in your career where, you, like, that stick out now where you just was like, I just, I'm done now. I don't like. I'm ready to pack it in. Like, I like the in, whether it's injury or like the contract side of things because there's lots of times and you hear in 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 everybody's career really yeah. like you get like this opportunity and it could lead to something big and they put yeah. someone else on the bike and there's like things that are because as a motorbike racer, I guess you go through the emotional roller coaster. Obviously, you was very successful for a long time, and the roller coaster is just, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. it's just up, down, and you're reliving it again now, obviously, because the boys, like, yeah. with what they're doing. It, 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 yeah, there's nothing describes it better. The highs and lows. I, we were talking about it earlier a couple of times when I'm in the barrier or sliding down the road, and I'm kind of waking up days. I'm thinking for maybe. Normally, between the time you get in a stretcher to the medical centre, you're thinking, "I'm done with this. Yeah. I've had enough of this." And then you start to come around and then think about, oh, I can get out for the next race or can I get out the next practice or, or tomorrow or when will I be fit? And then, so throughout my 20 year career, whether it was injury, occasionally I'd think about it in the medical center, but never once. And when I ended up with no rides, no contracts, it was finding the cash if it was my own money, whatever. I wanted to go racing for the full 20 years and never ever wanted to walk away. When I did decide, to stop then it was fine and uh, I've never looked back but but to answer your question no not once wanted to 
as long as I could get up and get in the bike, uh, I wanted to keep going. Yeah. How hard was that being the Scotsman that you are to uh, when you had to look at funding your own team for the year? Did you look at the figures and think, oh? Yeah, well, that that's the ultimate <laughs> test. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. the ultimate. It is, and it's really good that that happens because it happened numerous times throughout my career. I'd kind of have a really good season and then get dumped, sacked, whatever. That's and then nice if you've been yeah. paid well the previous season, you think, well, I'm, I'm not racing for... Oh, yeah, basically less than yeah. hundred grand, or yeah. and then nothing happens, and you think, well, take a bit less. Yeah, and then you think, well, I'd do it for yeah. a free ride because I could probably <laughs> earn a little bit yeah, of money in bonuses sports. and prize yeah. money. Yeah, and then still nothing's happened, and then you start to think about, oh, who could uh, tap up for a bit of sponsorship, or who, and 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 then you realise, God, I want this so bad, which is kind of nice in a way. It, it 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 lets you know how much you want to do it, and and I think it's the ultimate test. For, for riders and it, it's yeah a couple of times I've funded my own team I've been ringing around all winter um, the most recent example was end of the Cabri sponsorship with Yamaha we ended up with nothing and myself and Rob Mack relentlessly from October till Cabri stopped sponsoring the team we had nobody from October till the following March we were flat out and nothing happened until the, like the la very last week Richard Branson and Virgin come along. Yes, yeah. And then that was another era in, in racing with Virgin being involved. But so I've I've been there and and quite enjoyed the fact that I, I know how much I wanted to race and that that if you'd kinda of half hearted about it then you shouldn't really bother. But if you want it more than anything then Yeah. And how was Rob Mack your team boss at one point? Have I yes. did that? Yeah, so he was your team. Yeah, and how was that? Well, because he's got some he's got some brilliant stories. Yeah, he will. Yeah, Rob, Rob and I had uh, we were best mates before we, we did GPs in the 80s and, and Rob was a bit of a mentor when I first got into GPs. Um, so spent a lot of time together, trained together, raced together, spent time together in between races and then our careers went off in different directions. And then when I came back to BSB in 96, Rob became my team manager. And I came back with the intention of winning and, and at times I was maybe more ruthless than I should have been with teammates and getting what I wanted but and so we had a bit of a it challenged our, our relationship um but I won three titles for him and, and the team and I think he he's, he he would understand that um and then when we came out of the end of that then we're we're best mates again but he was a good team boss he understood as an ex rider and an expert superbike champion what it what it takes he understood riders and his best thing about being a team manager was that we were I was always in a, a two rider team and whichever rider was having the tough day, he'd go and see them, he'd have a cup of tea and support them. Um anyone that's going well, you don't need pat in the back. No, you, you you're just did, yeah. happy and he would if that was me, he'd leave me alone. But if I needed a bit of help, he'd he'd be around. So he was really good like that. Whereas I've been in other teams, Grand Prix teams, where the guy that's doing the best, the guy that's got everyone around him, pats in the back and then the I've been the guy in the corner. No one's putting your bike in a stand, yeah, and you you need on. a bit of support. Yeah, and that's where Rob identified that was that was the best thing about being a team manager because everyone loves a winner, but these guys they're happy if you're winning. So that yeah. that was his his, and I recognise that. Yeah, and what was your persona like? Like that's one of my questions as well. Like how in your like obviously when you was racing, was you a bit of a a bastard to to people? Was you a bit fierce? Would you? But mind games, or was no, it just more about no, let's my, lay it out on the track? Yeah, my uh, I had two things that I I I did. Uh, one thing I I genuinely was happy to be friends with everyone, and I recognised that I didn't really want to wind anyone up because anyone wound me up, it just fueled my desire yeah. to beat them. And I I recognised that early on in my career, I didn't really. So I genuinely was happy to get on with everyone. Um not to motivate them to beat me was yeah. one reason and and but sitting on the grid visor down yeah something changed and uh, I, I didn't want to do anything dangerous but that friendship thing was 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 gone whereas other riders um john reynolds is one guy he he'd rather keep himself to himself in the paddock not be friends with anyone didn't want to get close yeah. to anyone I, yeah. that didn't bother me but but i could i'd like to be friends then then visor down, then I didn't care. I wanted to win whatever within reason. And the other thing 
I always thought, and I kind of always try and instill this with the boys, is if you've got a teammate, don't hate them, don't feel them, work work with them, because you might not get away from anyone else, but you should get away with the opposition if you're working together. If you're working against each other, then you might get your bike right one day, your teammate doesn't, but then other days you might be wanting to know what, what he's got. So if you can get on with you, that hasn't actually worked out very well, yeah. especially in Tazzy's case. Yeah. But but that's one thing I, I think if you can work work with your teammate and then because you hear loads of people saying first guy to beat is your teammate well that's no good if you're sixth and he's seventh no exactly okay if you're first and second that's fine but just beating your teammate can be crap if you're sixth so I see it as an extra pair of wheels on the ground so yeah. for me like we've like we worked like for an in, for for an example me and Andy worked really well together yeah. because there was no. There was yeah. no malice between each other. We wanted to beat each other on track and, and that showed, I guess, yeah. uh, last season. But we would work together. Oh, you're having that same problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm having that same. Maybe we're looking at something different. Maybe yeah. it's the swing arm. Maybe it's this. And I completely agree with you on that one. I think having somebody, um, yeah, like for me as well, I'm quite friendly to everyone. Yeah. And I, I I don't mind. That's me. Yeah. My personality is, is like that anyway. And I guess some people, like you said, force that kind of personality yeah. thing on people. Difficult to get a teammate to be have the same thinking, though, because if you get one that's locked into, no, you're getting nothing and I'm going to beat you, then... then that's that would make me worse, though, being there. That would make me like, right, you're the first to get it yeah. then. I'm going to... Yeah. yeah, but I always looked at the bigger picture, like, well, yeah. there's... there's Like, if you looked at this, oh, I want to be the top BMW, that doesn't interest me at all because there's four <laughs> BMWs, all right? That's yeah. fine, but... I want to be top of everyone yeah, and I think yeah, that's yeah. yeah and I think that's having that killer instinct but it's interesting again talking to all the other guests finding out what, yeah. what they're sort of and yeah. that the, the wanting to win is so like outweighs yeah everything isn't it yeah so you wouldn't have been happy with second or would you have would you have been uh, like, oh, I'm happy no I wasn't um, yeah there's some riders like Foggy's one win or, or nothing but yeah. some days when I finish second third fourth if it's thinking well that's points is better than fifth or, or yeah. falling off then no, I wasn't. I loved winning. We all do, but it wasn't the be all and end all. Sometimes you got to think about the big picture, and and I definitely won my three championships kind of with with that in mind. Yeah, and then, keep coming. Yeah. Would you have been quite um, like right onto the next one? Like, when did you enjoy? Did you when you look back at your career? Did you enjoy the moment? Like, right, that was amazing. Or was you kind of like most motorbike races in the way of like, I'd need to win another one now. No, like, I did. No, I definitely did, and I didn't mind party. Party man. Uh, Back in BSB years, yeah, not so much during the season, yeah. winter time, yeah. Occasionally, if there's a weekend off, a couple of weekends off, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely told myself I've got to enjoy this because I know a lot of successful riders, a lot more successful than me, that in, enjoyed nothing about career and it's over. They forgot and they regret it. Yeah. One thing I didn't, wasn't good at is getting over a, a bad day. it take me to the next race or if I messed up or it didn't quite work out, whereas Taz... Taron, uh, he's over it. He's so impressive. He's like over it in five minutes. I'm over this. Get good. On it. good though, and yeah, for yeah. me, it's it took a long time. Write that it. down. One of his strengths. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. And how was Jan in those days? Was she supportive or like, come on, get nah, yourself together? Come nah, on. She, yeah. she was. No, nah, she's always. Yeah, she's yeah. very excellent. Couldn't couldn't have asked for it. She under she understands understood racing. She totally got it. She knew when to help, when to not help. She she was really good. And, and then when the kids came along, she said, kids are a different thing when they're racing. She says, the thing is, you can always replace your husband, but you never replace your kids. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> oh, cheers. Yeah, I don't hear yeah, that sort of But um, no, nah, she, she, I couldn't have asked for anyone better by my side. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
definitely. And there's a question I've got to ask you. Apparently, there was a, a bit of a scuffle at the end of 96. I really want to hear this story. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, there was. End of 96. <laughs> um, it involved Jim Moody. Jim Moody is ultimate <laughs> Scottish harp man. Good mate. And uh, Jim's, Jim Moody's kind of guy, when you're in... Tr trouble or you've got I need to meet Jim Moody because I've I yeah. don't think I've shook Jim Moody's hand and I've heard so many It'll stories from Stuart Easton and I need to I need to meet Jim he's the kind of guy I sometimes I think when I'm got in a situation I think what would Jim Moody do in a situation <laughs> like this it's not always the right yeah. answer you come up with uh, end of 96 won the championship James Whittam my teammate and best mate uh, finished second played in his band fair play it would have had a struggle to do it, but he celebrated like he had won the championship, played in his band, a great big marquee in the middle of Donington, all going really well. Myself and James Whittam nipped outside for a comfort break out the back of the marquee. We had had a few beers, obviously. And there was a security guy's van sitting, ticking over. And we didn't actually say anything to each other, but we both thought, well, I certainly thought, we need to drive this van. <laughs> In the infield at Donington Park. Everyone watching? Uh, There's a few people out, but most were in the marquee. But the important person, people that were watching were the security guards. So he jumps in the passenger seat. <laughs> I jumps in the driver's seat. I basically about to shut the door and my collar just went, Oof. Whittam gets out and ran away. Didn't have your back then? Didn't have my back. Or so um, yeah. I, got, I got pummeled by the security guards. Didn't, I was a bit numb. I didn't feel it, but I, I deserved it. Yeah. It shouldn't have been. It was taught, but I just thought it was funny at the time. I had to do it, <laughs> so it didn't. It didn't work. So I staggered back into the marquee. It was a bit like Gangs in London. I could get back in there. <laughs> Smash Jim Moody was yeah. one of the first people I met. He goes, "What happened to you?" So I said, oh, "Jim, it's all right. I just it was my fault." Right, we're going to get them. <laughs> I go, no, Jim, no, I'll gather the troops. We're going to get them. So Jim assembled the troops. And I said, please, please, it'll only, only get worse. Yeah. But Jim wanted blood, and it, it, I was in the wrong. Um, but that's the kind of guy is. He saw his mate had been beat up. Did he fill him in? No, they didn't. I, I managed to oh, neutralise the situation because it would have always been... But there's been other incidents in the season parties at Donington Park where Jim Moody has caused a bit of carnage. And in fact, I think probably finished the end of season parties at Donington Park after one incident in the park farm barn, which is yeah. the thing. But um, Jim likes a party, but he don't take any nonsense from anybody. I just don't understand. I'm still trying to work it out to this day. Like when you get a group of motorbike racers together, just even like go-karting, let's say, or when you get them together, what happens? It just, something goes terribly yeah. wrong, doesn't it? Like the brain cells we do have seem to just leave and it just gets outrageous. Like, and when we've all had a drink, it's even worse. Like, I don't understand. And it sounds like the same thing that like you're saying now, like back in your day, when you got all the, all the boys together and you was a bit lashed up, it was just, it was just hell. And it, I just yeah. don't understand what the common thing I, is here. Yeah, I'm not an aggressive no. celebrate type person. Some are more than others. That never got, just got mischievous. And that, that, mischievous that, and that was my downfall. That's me. Um, <laughs> But I think what, without realising that over the years, because we've all raced for a lot of years, you you pre-programmed for this for, you know, adrenaline, yeah. live life on the edge. Uh, I'm really good mates with Kevin Schwartz, and he, uh, Rob Mack actually identified that with him. With him, he loves being on the edge, whether it's tweaking your nipple or <laughs> just pinging your ear, just winding people up. Yeah. He, like that fact he's right on the edge and that came over in, he, in his riding probably why he's so successful but I'm uh, not really like that but he was he he liked that on the edge yeah. of danger scenario mm. most of his life so we're going to move on to a little a little section it's new for this episode of the podcast and it's just a track review so I want to ask you what is your favourite track whether it's worldwide whether it's yeah UK obviously right. it's Knockhill First, yeah, but we'll, we'll talk about no, another one. No, I've got, <laughs> like the Yamaha 350 LC, I've got yeah. Knock Hill to thank my career for. Yeah. Because if it wasn't there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened. Favourite track in the world, partly because it's been good to me results-wise, but partly because I, I love it, yeah. and you've been there, is Suzuka in Japan. It's figure of eight, so you've got a good balance of rights and lefts. It's uphill, downhills, hairpins, chicanes. It's just Everything heaven. connects beautifully, it's, it's doesn't it? It's just right, isn't yeah. it? And I just... Love that, love that racetrack, and I, I, that's where I went for my 
first test with HRC and within a few laps I've got some riders don't get on with it. I thought I've got a good feel for this and I really enjoyed the the track and I, I always went well there. So I think I'd if I had to choose one, that'd be Zuka. it. And is there do you have like your most memorable moment at that track or what is your most memorable moment of that circuit? Would it have been that the first time? That got, that test was good, but I actually my first GP there with Honda when uh, first Japanese Grand Prix ever in 87 I qualified pole in the Honda so that that's quite special uh, I finished second day our race there I've had quite a few top five results in GPs and actually won two Japanese championship races there a couple of years in, in a row so it's just it always felt it come easy and and we always love it when it comes yeah, easy, so yeah. lots of great memories there and what was the favorite part of the circuit I I have an inkling but I don't know it might be I might be wrong I don't know there's, uh, I, I could ride around it now, and I, I, I love everything from sort of one thirty R just always that's sticks in there. my head. Is that the long left? That's the fast left before the last chicane. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. yeah, back of gear and just opening the throttle. Yeah, and, yeah, and then is it the one twenty, the, the long Dunlop corner? Is that the, the long left bottom end of the? Uh, no, that's uh, you go through turn one flip yeah. flop and then up a hill and then right and then yeah. round a long, oh, long yeah, up, like, up hill. Left, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that the whole circuit, and then obviously it connects down into that tighter bit. Yeah, yeah, oh, the whole circuit. Yeah, hopefully yeah. you get to go back there this year. Yeah, they've tightened it up a little bit since since like late eighties, but it's just it just just got everything. The and whole thing. Any tips for anyone going there, like myself? What would you say? <laughs> What's the? <laughs> it's what you've got to let it flow, haven't you? It's one yeah. of these you can't can't attack. Like it Donington, just let it flow. It's one of these. Let, let the brakes off and then follow through everywhere, rather than. Breaking late and because that that doesn't work, it's really flowing. It's all it's all about flowing. Some tracks you've got to attack, but that's not one of them. It just comes from like momentum. Actually, leading on from the Suzuka, it's good. A good question actually is with the tire side of things. Like so, currently, if you go to Suzuka, obviously you've got like Bridgestone, Pirelli, you've got the different manufacturers, and kind of the best teams get the best tires as such. Yeah. Was it like that in your day? Like when you was racing, would the top teams get the best tires, and would would the lesser teams, so to speak, get like different tyres and what was that like? Because obviously that was a big part of everyone's the, career, wasn't it? The situation then was was complicated. It's so nice now with the one mate tyre roll because every rider knows they're on the same tyres. Yeah. In 87, 88, 89, 90, uh, 92, I rode for factory teams and the rule and these teams got the best tyres for Michelin, but only the number one rider. And, and if you're number two rider and riders like Mick Doon have been the number two rider, you have to find a way to make it happen so the number one rider would get the best tires sometimes you'd get their tires on a on a sunday which was too late because your bike set up for something different yeah. so that was and the b rider tires would not quite have as much grip might not go the distance sometimes they were better better than others but you knew you were on different tires from your teammate most of the weekend and and your teammate might have been a better rider, more talent, whatever. But if you haven't got the tyres, you yeah. know you're not going to do the job. So that was the frustrating part for me. But that player part when you're sat on the grid, like, oh, he's yeah, got that on. Yeah. Like, oh, frustrating. Yeah. Level things out a little bit when it was wet. But when you're kind of, you know that he's got a 597 and you've got a 592 and you see that number and you just know that's the tyre. That's the tyre and you're not getting them in the... It doesn't matter. So and that, and that was the rule. Michelin, Michelin yeah. were in control, and yeah. that's one of the reasons that that the one mate tyre rule came along. Because was Michelin, there? Sorry, go on. Finish yeah, Michelin yeah, did that, and then they were taken to another level. They were tires made overnight, and <sighs> that's and what I heard. Yeah, Dunlop Pirelli couldn't couldn't compete with that, and so it became unfair. So, uh, but yeah, in my day, but like I said, maybe I needed to make it happen and and become a number one rider. But other than that, bike staff. Equipment, it's all the same, but the tyres, and as you know, the tyres at the end of the day are, are what can win or lose. Because that could have been like extra motivation, I guess, if you turn it on its on its yeah. head a bit, I guess. But, well, if you're on that tyre, yeah. But did it ever equate, did you ever look at that guy, but that's a second a lap, I know that already, or is that half a second, or was it just, you never, didn't think about it? He never really knew, but he never really knew. He just knew, different just sessions, give me the different, same tyres, yeah. or put him in my tyres, or give us all the same tyres. And I then, it was then so all the size, it's frustrating. And, and Maybe psychologically that affected you, where maybe your tyres were as good, but you knew you 
your tyres were different because obviously crew chiefs talk and says, yeah. Kevin's, yeah, Kevin's getting this today or Wayne Gardner's getting this. Uh, can I get one? No, you can't. Go. It's just there's only six this weekend and the, the yeah. A riders are. Computer says them. no. Yeah. Okay. Computer says no, yeah. mate. Try again next year. Yeah. Let me just check the notepad. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. mate. Yeah. Yeah. And um so what was the reason in the end that you did finish racing? Was it just yeah, like I I actually I actually don't know this, this right. answer. Uh, yeah. my last season racing was two thousand. I was Neil Hodgson's teammate with GSE Ducati team. Yeah. And it's my first season on Ducati. And during the year, again, I had the same equipment, I had everything Neil had, and I was, most of the year, I was kind of around half a second off, and I could look at the data, and I couldn't do what he was doing. And I thought, maybe it's just, it's on a Ducati, I've always raced two strokes, or high revving, four strokes, four cylinders, and I couldn't really figure out how to ride this bike, and it might have been trying to teach an old dog new tricks. So as the season was going on, I was okay, I was top five, but I wasn't podium in, mm. every weekend, and that had what I'd been used to. And towards the end of the season, I had a, a couple of offs, nothing that stopped me riding, but they hurt. And then Cadwell Park, very close to the end of the season, the throttle stuck open and I ended up in the tire wall at the gooseneck. Again, I rode the next day, but I was so beat up. And then I had two young kids and I'm thinking, I've had a good career. Yeah. I didn't, really enjoy the crashing anymore and no matter how safe I can make it if something goes wrong then I could get hurt and then I, I spoke to a couple of people Mick Grant and Roger Burnett two guys I knew at the time and asked the question how do you know when to stop and they both said you're ready to stop because you've asked the question yeah because you never you never even it's like we talked about it before where it was injury or money or whatever I'm racing and they said uh, yeah you're ready to stop and I thought, oh, yeah, you're probably probably right. So Colin Wright is my team manager at, at the time. I said, I think I'm ready to stop. So it's fine. Let's go to the end of the season. A big party at uh, Donington last round. Neil Hodgson won the championship, which was amazing. And, and that was it. And and walked away and never wanted to. I love bikes. I love riding. Yeah. I didn't want to race anything. Still again. probably love riding bikes now anyway. And yeah. yeah. And, that, and it was that that moment um, when it, it they were right. And, and that's, I'd tell any, anyone that if you're thinking about it, it probably do it. Is. Yeah, do How it. old would you have been? 39. 39, yeah. So you had a really good career. 20 really amazing seasons. And that's probably made it easier to, to hang yeah, up the levers yeah. as such. And yeah, and no plan for the future, but it all worked out all right. Yeah, and then obviously moving on to the boys, like how proud you and Jan must be and how nervous. Because was it always, do you know, obviously when you had two boys, was there always a part of you? Like as a parent with me, I'm like, my no, kids aren't racing bikes. No. My my little boy is not racing. He's yeah. not going to do it. But did you kind of like, would you ever try to navigate him away? Or because they would have seen you in your successful yeah, years. Be, and Yeah, be be careful because no, no I'm going to have to ask ever. the boys this as yeah, well when I get them on. <laughs> I had no plan. And I was kind of, little kids on bikes scared me, to be honest. But a friend of mine, uh, Alan McIntosh, who runs the McIntosh Mini Bikes in Scotland, Mini Motors, sent me, well, I bought some crap mini motors and the kids went out at cart track riding them. Someone told Tosh that they were riding some embarrassing bikes and Tosh said, don't let them ride these bikes. I'll send you a couple, just play on them. And that's where it started. And I had, we had no intention of going racing, but we had a bit of a buzz doing that. Yeah. Cheap as chips, nobody's getting hurt. And the next thing when you were, Jan and me were standing outside the big racetracks and they're flying past and we're looking at each other thinking, what have we done? But at that time, they're addicted. They're not stopping. So, and it's been a roller coaster ever since. But around that time, we had the conversation, both of them, like, we're doing this. This been, can be dangerous, the consequences. And they both said, we know. And we'd much rather take a chances. And we'd love it. We understand that. Let's keep going. So, Yeah, because it's a tough one, isn't it? Like, I always, like, for, for me, speaking of personal experience, like, I talk of my, my career, but it was always like, yeah, that, that my friends were off doing other stuff at like 14, yeah. 15, 16. But because I wanted to be a motorbike racer, I had such a different, I channeled all my energy into being a motorbike racer. Yeah. And I and I kind of got out of that kind of like getting into trouble side of things. And I think what we do as racers, obviously it is very dangerous and you have to pay a lot of attention to it. So I yeah. think it gives you such good life skills in yes. general, talking to people, dealing with people, dealing with emotions, dealing with yeah. tough situations, like dealing with anxiety, nerves. Like it's such a, 
I think it's such a strength. Like Taylor will probably say that now as well in what his new venture, what he's doing. Like his racing career has probably helped him so much. And I think, yeah, it is as tough as it is sometimes probably to watch your, your kid. E like everything everything you said, definitely life life skills, yeah. good guys, bad guys, what things cost and always made them aware of that, that it's not happening. And obviously the commitment as well. And and that was a good test. Again, do you wanna do you wanna go racing? Well, you have to kind of get up before school, do a little bit yeah. of training, uh, behave at school do your school work, do everything, and then we'll go racing at the weekend, clean your kit. If you don't do that, then we're not going racing. They could have said, oh, I'm not bothered, and then God knows yeah. what would have happened. But fortunately, they, they were up for it. And and so it made their uh, early years quite easy as far as parents um, to look after them. And, and, it, and it was a good investment because, again, we talked before, kids can, they're looking for excitement, especially boys and could go off doing other stuff, but but the racing was something that I knew about and I could help them with. I bet he was like, please don't. We've not got to go for another 20 years of this. Because <laughs> hey, it's like we said, like, I bet even now, like, you feel if Taron's having a bad race now, no, you feel yeah, it if he's having yeah, a good race. Yeah. And how was the British Championship win? Do you know what? Before that weekend, actually, I said to him, I think you're going to do this. And he said, what yeah. do you mean? And I said, you've won Super Sport. I said, you've won other championships. I said, you know, going to bed tonight, the feeling that you've got to deal with tomorrow mm. when you get on the grid. I said, none of the other boys have. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. I think you're going to win it. And yeah. he was like, oh yeah. And I probably shouldn't have said that to my competitor, but I, I truly like, well, like we're saying, yeah, being yeah, friendly yeah. away. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. friends with Taron and Taylor. And I, I genuinely said to him that. And, and he was like, and he obviously he, he did it not through my words of wisdom, but yeah. how yeah. was that for you? Obviously it was oh, upset. It was, it was just a British champion. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, you set out to try and win the British Superbike championship, but the chances are, are so slim. You need everything to, you need everything mm. to line up. Uh, you need a good team. You need you need everything. Um, and yeah, I was nervous all weekend. Mm. Uh, but he he carried everyone. He's crew chief the team through the weekend because he's so relaxed yeah. and nothing stresses him. And and that was the one weekend he should have been nervous and stressed. But he just got on with it and got the job done. So, but you're right, and you can win it as well because you know how to win championships. And you've been there and done that. So yeah, you did. You got got to think about these things. But yeah, absolute. Was and it's 25 years since I won my first championship. Everything it was just, just it was amazing, just yeah. mad. So it, it was it was special, and yeah, it's a lot of stress, and and especially for his mum. But yeah, for those moments, yeah, incredibly special. Yeah. And would the boys lean on you ever throughout their racing career? Like, was there anything in particular you remember saying to them, or like any advice you'd say, right, boys, like? Just remember, like it's a long race, or like, was there anything? Yeah, that you in the, in the early say? days, but as as they get older, they're, they're their own men, and I try and try and look at other parents and what they do wrong, and try not to do that. So just just try and back off, and little bits and nuggets of advice, but basically, just opinion sometimes rather than telling them. Taylor told me quite early on his career when I was coming revving one day about doing this and doing that. He says, "Don't just come in like that. Just tell me what I should be doing, and I'll do it." Rather than you. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what you, and, and I thought, oh, I had to go outside and have a chat with myself and I come back in and I'll be all right from that moment on. That was like ten years ago. So yeah, um yeah, I just kinda they've got they've always had good people around them, so that but yeah, I never really forced my opinion. And and I've worked in teams as well, and there's nothing worse than working with a rider and he goes back to motorhome and his parents try to brainwash no. him into something else. So that's something I'll never do because you're defeating the, the object of having the, a good team. So that it's quite an important thing, and I've always been aware of that. So, yeah, help when I can. Early years, you can help a lot, mainly keeping things safe, and then afterwards, it's it's up to them. It is like that, because when, you, when you're racing, you just want support. Like, if you're having a bad day, yeah. you don't want your wife or your family or yeah. your mum or your dad to be giving you more stick when you get back to the motorhome, yeah. do you? You want them to be like, mate, don't worry, take yourself away from it. When you come back again, we'll look at the bike, we'll look at the data, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We'll look at, obviously, going forward and, and, um, and trying to do the best you can, but... Yeah, you know, I've had so many heated rows with my dad, and yeah. now I just say I'm a professional. Go away. Yeah, go away. yeah. When you get old enough, and you get bigger than him. Yeah, yeah. One thing I, I did, it happened quite early on. Fortunately, I used to see if the kids weren't having a great result or a great day. I'd li inside a little bit mad, Mark, not happy. And while I wouldn't shout at them or anything, they could probably feel that I wasn't happy. And I saw other parents, and no matter what the kids do. Big pat in the back. Oh, that's brilliant. And well, they were just it, yeah. nice to them. Yeah. When when they were young, like 11, 12, 13, I thought, and they were actually becoming more successful. I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's the future. You know? And then I changed. I, I 
made a conscious effort just to to try and do that. And I swear straight away it was it was better. They were better. They're more relaxed because because you can turn it into a bad experience. Oh, if they don't good. get a result. Yeah. Dad's not happy. And I thought, oh, God, what am I doing? And then and then it honestly it 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 transformed them. Just giving support, like you said, rather than giving the hard time. They don't they don't need a stick. They just need a bit of support. Young kids. Yeah. Important years and and make it a good experience and it's only motorbike racing at the end of the day. Yeah, right. So now we're going to jump into this little quiz I've uh, okay. I've mastered up. But I've telling you earlier, I've tried to be. Part of me thinks you're going to just absolutely smash through it. Um, obviously we did speak about earlier about putting like a tenner on each question, but I've took that away because I ain't got fifty quid on me. But um, yeah, so I'm going to test your racing knowledge a little bit, and I know. Being on your team at the NEC before in a question of bike, I know you are quite you've quite knowledgeable with the yeah. old racing. So my first question is: How many race wins did Valentino Rossi have? Oh, God, yeah, I think you, I, you might. I think this is quite particular. Total and all total, yeah, to, yeah, total, yeah. Mm, not going to get the answer to that, but <laughs> I'm going to stab at 130. Was it? Ah, that's not close. Right, it's below 100. All right. Just throw it. 89. Right. No. That's a 10 of you. Well, that was probably close, yeah. How many did Doohan have? This is question two, sorry. How many did McDoohan have? Right. I've got a number here. Yeah. 54. Oh, yeah, he's done no it. No way. He did. No. 54. Oh. You've seen my phone, haven't you? Oh, no. You've seen the other. No, no, no. Don't know where that came from. <laughs> Who, oh, this, if you don't get this, I was trying to think about this earlier, but I'm sure you're going to get this. Who was the 1986 500cc MotoGP champion? 1986. 86. Yeah, Eddie Lawson. Yeah. yeah. And how many championships did he win in total? Four. Oh, yes, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is a bit of a silly one, but how many lefts are there at Donington Park? Yeah. Well, it's not well, hard to work out. Do you know top of the head? Well, I have to kind of... Write, I think there is five. Down. I think there's five. <laughs> I think I've worked out five. Yeah. I might have got that wrong. Listeners, if you're listening, it's wrong. That's fine. Yeah. Um, this is one. This is a good one. How many podiums did Taz have in BSB? Ah, podiums. Do you know how many race wins he had? Mm. Yeah, 16. 35. 40. All right. All right. That's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Must have missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You weren't there. Yeah. You're stomping around yeah. that mark around the circuit. <laughs> and that's it then. All done. All yeah. right. Okay. I mean, oh, well, yeah. I'm glad I got some right. I've now. got everything out of you that I wanted. And um, yeah, obviously, thanks yeah. for being a guest on, on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Enjoyed every minute. Well done. And obviously, get yourself back up to uh, the Midlands. What are the boys up to at the minute? They're doing a bit of training, aren't they? Yeah, they're in Girona, a little bit living the dream, but flat tracking, going yeah. around in circles, and then, uh, yeah, just uh, in the sunshine, we're here in a miserable British winter. And for those who don't know, Taron's off to World Supersport this year with MIE Honda. MIE, yeah, yeah. Borobaki Honda team, Supersport, yeah. Honda Honda, so yeah, whole new adventure for him. New bike, is it, this year? It's him? it's a brand, as far as I'm aware, yeah. it's uh, they've had a bike in the Asian and Australian market for the last couple of years, CBR 600, that's uh, upgraded from what was last on sale in the UK. So we race a version of that, and then in 2024, apparently they've got a, a brand new bike, but their HRC are officially back in Supersport in 23, and Taz is on a bike, the best they can provide. So we'll, no expectations, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, because obviously you've got to learn some of the circuits, I guess. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. We do, we, yeah, I mean, it's a competitive... New bike, new championship. Competitive yeah. class, uh, all kinds of bikes in there that are running at the front, so we're not sure where it'll be, but yeah, he's looking forward to the change. He surprised us. And, Tar and Taylor, obviously, back with uh, running the team. That's right, team. Vision Track yeah. uh, Motor 3 team, so he's off, I think, 21 or 22 rounds this year, so yeah, he's in, enjoying that. We're going to get the boys on, quiz him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some funny stories with Taylor All right. Okay. when I took him to Essex. Remember when he came to mine and went home with an Essex haircut and Jan... Jan told him off. <laughs> what have you done to your hair? He's like, Danny made me. <laughs> he went come back in skinny jeans and a tight t-shirt. But um, but yeah, no, we'll hear about that later on anyway. But yeah, right. thanks for coming on, mate. Real pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Right. Danny is back. What a ride! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.